Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production. I will be assisted in this venture by my brother and resident Beatles expert Paul Abbott with a deep knowledge of the Beatles and the wider context in which they operated. Each episode we will explore and score five songs from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. The songs will be drawn at random to try and avoid any favourite album or era prejudices skewing the results as we go along. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode seven and please join me in a big welcome to Paul, not that one, Abbott. Hello Paul. I am Paul, this one Abbott. Yeah. Um, well, are you ready for today's question, Paul? As I ever I'll be. Yeah, because you don't get a chance to prepare for these. Um, mm-hmm. So, it's a simple one today. What is your favourite bit of Beatles cover art? Ooh, out of the albums, that's a good question. Well, you can. You yeah. can I will allow, um, if there's any particular singles that stand out to you, I, I can't imagine... Yeah, it's a funny one because I don't really because I've never owned a, a set of like nice reissues of of art cover singles. The ones that I have got are just in basic plain sleeves. So it's the albums really, and maybe the compilations as well. I I mean, there is some dreadful cover art in the compilations that come out in the seventies and then up, end up on cassettes. Like the Beatles rock and roll music ones are, are rubbish, um, and. Yeah, oh gosh, I don't know what my favourite is, really. Um, I'm pretty keen on With the Beatles. I think that's, you know, the early iconic light and shade picture. Because it's in black and white and it's early, it's sort of, it's like a big pin in that era of them. Mm. An era we imagine of being black and white. So, But it's a fantastic um, portrait photo. It's, It's amazing. Good choice. So... To start us, in perfect contradictory fashion, we have Good Night. Now it's time to say good night, good night, sleep tight. Good night, Paul. Oh, are we done, are we? That's it. Bedtime. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Oh, the, the humours. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's an interesting one to start with, is it's the closing track on the White Album. Mm-hmm. comes after Revolution Number no. 9, which is a very unique <laughs> place. I mean, what do you follow Revolution Number no. 9 with? Well, it, as it turns out, on an amazing rock album, you close it with this big, lush orchestral number for Ringo. Mm. So, yeah, recorded in June and July of 1968. Goes through a few different versions before they settle on it just being a big orchestral number. And, yeah, a John Lennon song that becomes a song for Ringo. Yeah, you could say um, lush or slush. Take your pick from those words, pour it on, smother it with a kind of Disney sensibility, kind of romantic in a way. Um, romance strings, that is, not not in its, in its content. And um, yeah. Ringo. And um, yeah. this is what you get. Yeah, it's an interesting one because they clearly... There's talk that Lennon told George Martin to make it as Hollywood sounding as possible. Okay. But then in later years he went, oh yeah, it's a bit too much really, isn't it, that? <laughs> so it's a bit late now, John. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's good because it's an obvious choice that they've followed through on. But Ringo's, um, he's a good crooner, isn't he, on this? He's 
Yeah, he's, and it's something that he takes into his solo career as well as someone who does Sentimental Journey, which is like a cover album of of classics as well. Yeah, and the, the and there's a sort of it, it speaks to that thing of Ringo doing kids songs as well because this is a lullaby ostensibly. Yes, yeah. And it starts out as Lennon writing a, a lullaby for Julian, which he's done on his guitar in that sort of finger-picking style that he picked up in India mm. that Donovan showed him how to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it produces this, which is just a... It, it wouldn't have gone on any other album. It could only go on the White Album, this. And yeah. Imagine, imagine playing this to someone as the first Beatles song that they ever heard, saying, that's the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it would. Um, they wouldn't know what to make of it. Um, it makes you wonder why they didn't do a few more like this for Ringo. I guess there wasn't that much time left after this, but because it really no. suits him. I mean, yeah, he does the children's songs, the kind of happy, boppy, aquatic-based often children's songs. But um, he, he croons a good croon. But um, compared to last week's Don't Pass Me By, you know, I think it's really Ringo showing he can hold his own as a performance it's the better Ringo song on the album yes definitely um and composition wise like you were saying um it is Lennon and it feels so left field as a Lennon piece I would have tagged it as McCartney um yeah most people do yeah but because when you put the context of it being something he wrote for for Julian yeah then it starts to to make sense that it could come from Lennon um but then because it you know it's pretty much all turned over to George Martin's score um, it, that's probably what makes it harder to tell because um, then he gets his way with it. It's um, it's a lovely song. It's universal. It's delightful. I'm going to give it 77 for music. Mm-hmm. So production-wise, so much of the White Album, I feel, lacks the kind of touch of George Martin. But this is a massive exception <laughs> to that rule um, in that it is all musically you know instrumentation wise his 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 touch that lovely thick overblown film score style production with the full chorus to boot as well i mean there is a full choir isn't there going on it's the mike sam's singers who had previously featured on i am the warus yes doing the um umpa lumpers yeah doing all the silly noises and they're doing the full the full orchestral piece on this the full choral piece it's it's a real epic show and album closer kind of piece um I'm going to go 82 for the production. I'm held back only in that Martin doesn't really have to, or whoever's producing, doesn't really have to balance the kind of electric with the score. It's it's all given over to the to the orchestration. So it's um, yeah yeah you know which is where he, he you know he'd push into the higher score even higher scores. So I'm going to yeah 82 for the production. Um, is there anything of note you'd like to point out with its? Uh... Only that it's it's interesting because on the recent White Album box set they include a few different versions of it. And there'd been a version on the anthology, which is like Ringo singing with George Martin playing the piano, mm. which sounds like a sort of score reduction version of the piano on the piano. And okay. the versions on this new box set, new, he says, two years old. This box set is has got all these different bits of talking at the start and the end of it. And they're trying stuff with guitars and vocal harmonies mm. before they turn it into this big orchestral thing. So it works, you know, it, it comes from a single guy finger picking up through this couple of guitars together three voices together up to piano up to orchestra so it's interesting how it develops yeah it's a good journey um i mean one point about the production um although i like ringo's uh, little whispering at the end when he wishes everyone a good night everyone everywhere it's a little bit it's a bit, it's a bit like that it's a bit um mm. spitty if you know what i mean when you're listening to it on headphones you get a lot of 
of that it's noise. Ringo, Ringo ASMR. Yeah, that's it. ASMR. That, that, that sound, which some people like, but um, if, you, if you're focusing on it, it can be a bit, bit icky. Anyway, yeah. lyrics. I'm surprised that this song isn't a bigger staple of um, children's songs and nursery rhymes, if you know what I mean. Because um, I... Unlike things like Yellow Submarine, I don't, I can't recall hearing this throughout childhood and growing up as something you'd hear as a lullaby, even though it, it really is straight out of lullaby and nursery rhymes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's harmonically, it's not super simple. Mm. So that's one thing against it being used elsewhere. And also, it's at the end of the White Album after Revolution 9. Yeah. So. So some people might not have got that far, those people who aren't into their sonic experiments. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, I used to sing this to, to my daughter when she was a little baby. Um, but um, yeah, I just thought you, it, did, it hasn't entered into the public consciousness in the same way as some of the other children's songs, but I don't see why not, because the lyrics, like the rest of it, are kind of straight from that, that songbook, really. Um, there's not much to say about them because they are no. a, a nice, lovely song about going to sleep. Um, a lovely sleepy ballad with no other depth than that, really. So I'm going to say 59 for lyrics, which is giving it an overall of 72.7. So next we have Tell Me Why. Tell me why you cried and why you lied to me. Tell me why, Paul. Oh, if only I had the answers, Gary. But I have some answers about this song, which is a great little rocker, hidden away on the Hard Day's Night album. Features in the film briefly, in the concert sequence as well. Mm. uh, So it's recorded in February the 27th, 1964. Comes out on the Hard Day's Night album in in July of 1964. It's mainly a Lennon song again. Mm. And I have always loved this song. It's really simple it's got a couple of useful overdubs that make it interesting and yeah it's it, i think they thought of it just as album filler mm. never played it live in the set or anything like that but i just say it's great it's just a, it's just a great song it certainly um doesn't let up on its pace it's 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 one of those that just comes rollicking out the gates and doesn't stop it's kind of exhausting just listening to it but you know not in a not in a derogatory way. It's, yeah. it's just constant. The vocal is constant. The, uh, the, the It's ploughed along by the walking bass. I mean, I'd hate to um, have to sing take and take of, of this, either as the leader or as the, the backing, because it's just, it's, there's just no, there's hardly any breathing space. Um, yeah. It must have been real hard work for them. Um, and it, the, and it is thick with all those harmonies, isn't it, this one? They work better yeah. in some places than others. Well, I, I like it because it messes with the typical Beatle harmonies, so where their voices sit in the sort of block harmonies changes a little bit in this. Okay. What, so you get what? a slightly different sound where, you know, John's doing a higher note than Paul type thing. Oh, I see. Well, I don't know if that's what stands out a little bit in the midsection where they do the falsetto, everything I can do bit, because that, that isn't as strong as their normal falsetto, that bit. Hmm. You know, in the in the in the you know the bit I mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah, they jump right up there, um, but um, only in, Mel. It's it's not as strong as 
in contrast to the rest of it, which is like thick and constant and belted out. But um, I love the songs like this and All My Loving and those kind of ones where it just, Paul drives it along, you know, with the bass. It's catchy as hell. It's a bit repetitive because, you know, what it is. It's it's But it's a lovely, what I'd say would be a good live rock and roll song, but you're saying wasn't but done. Never played it, no. no. So um, a good pseudo live rock and roll song sounding song. So I'm going to give it 58.5 for the music. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what was the... Um, before I get to talk about the production, what I think of the production, what are the overdubs there? You... Well, you've basically got um, Lennon doubling his vocal, mm. and you've got a piano in there. Yes, which there, is, yes. It's probably George Martin, although I don't think it's officially li- listed that it's him, but I think it's it's not super complicated, but it just adds this really low-end weight to it, which is, is one of the things I like about it. It's the old muddy piano again, um, which... Which um, I like. I actually do like that in this. I don't think they'd got their head around the piano sound quite at this part in the this part of their career. But um, I do like it in this because I think it emphasises the changes. I think it just it just kind of moves you from chord to chord, doesn't it? I think the piano. Um, I part partly with the production. I do find the layers of vocals it doesn't sit as comfortably as some of the other songs. Um, but I I, I think um, the bass and drums really, really done done well together. Um, this seems like a good performance. I've not got much else to say on the on the production. I'm giving it about 54 for the production. I will say I noticed one thing today when I was listening to it that I've never noticed before mm-hmm. in all my years listening to this. And I've known this a long time because we used to have a hard day's night on one of those yeah. cassettes that our, our mum and dad had. And But it probably wasn't high enough resolution for me to notice this, mm. which was at the very end, as the chord fades out, you can hear someone make a fret noise on the guitar, like move their hand up the strings mm. without without you know, actually fretting it, without striking it, plucking it. Yeah. And it sounds like it's a 12-string, which would have been, which means it's George at the end has just gone a little bit in the background. I've never noticed it before, oh. but it's those stupid little mistakes or unusual things that shouldn't be there that yes. I've I just lived for, and I love noticing things like that. So I was pleased with that. Lyrics-wise, it's a bit straight down the middle with the lyrics for this one as well. It's a, a jilted lover song, very neutral, quite standard, you know. Yeah. It's... I, Score-wise, I'm giving it 46, which puts it in the range of these style songs. It's a little bit more than a few others because it's not really that misogynistic, which is always a nice bonus. Um, it's, it, is what, what, it is what it is. Um, so mm. overall, then, it gets 52.8. Mm. Interesting. Is, yeah. Um, the, is, which is the, the, the mean kind of range of um, the uh, nice rockers, I think. Next up, Lovely Rita. Lovely Rita, meet a maid, nothing can come between us. When it gets dark, I tow your heart away. Standing by a parking meter, when I caught a glimpse of Rita. Paul, Lovely Rita is a great song from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album. Okay. And, you know, that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's my, that's my true fact. Yeah, it comes out on Sgt. Pepper's, which is June 1967. It's recorded in uh, February and March 1967. I've always loved Lovely Rita. It's a McCartney character song. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's got this background of, is it about a real person and someone turned up and said, oh, I'd given Paul McCartney a ticket and spoke to him in 1967 and and her name was Meta Davies. 
that wouldn't Which work, would it? Lovely meter, meter made. Meter, yeah. Hmm. Lovely meter traffic warden. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, meter's a strange name anyway, M-E-T-A. Yeah. Not, met, not meta, I don't think. No. Unless it is Meta Davies, I don't know because okay. I've seen it spell M E double T A, which I don't think would be Meta. But who knows? I don't know. I've never, I've never met a Meta. You just got an old Meta. Yeah. Mm. That was very clever, there. You see, that was a Meta reference to the name Meta in yeah. a Meta format. Oh, yeah. tied in knots. But yeah. So yeah, apparently this did happen in 1967 that he got a parking ticket and spoke to this this traffic warden. But you, I think the main derivation is that he. His friend, he was talking to his friend from America, and they were basically they said, "Well, in America, we don't call them traffic wardens; we call them meter maids." Mm. And this is when parking meters are starting to appear in the UK as well. So that's what triggered McCartney thinking about the the concept for this character song, and he turned it rather than being a "You stole my car," it's like "You stole my heart" type thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's good, and I've, there's plenty of little production things that are fun. Cool, Wes, which we'll get get on to. Um, although I think they they may end up all being one big splurge for me because I had real trouble making notes for this because it's just so unique as so much of Sgt. Pepper's is and to break it down into its individual components and try and separate out the music from the production seems kind of unnatural when so much of Sgt. Pepper's is about that perfect harmony of the two the song and the recording of the song being so much so entwined with each other I mean at its core I'd describe it as kind of a ragtime tune, musically, mm. you know, bopping along on the bass and the piano. Um, but then, I mean, in the verses, but then that's interspersed with kind of psychedelic backing vocals. It's got novelty sounds whizzing around in it. The chorus has a kind of a rock sensibility, and it ends up with what sounds like an experiment, experimental kind of sound piece with rhythmic vocals and a suspend suspended piano chords and in sexy a can- noises it's what it ends it's sexy noises sexy, sexy sexy vocal noises i mean it's just a a bag of everything which comes out phenomenal at a push i'd say at, and this is me looking for things it sounds a little thin in parts that's the most i can say and maybe misses a guitar somewhere but maybe doesn't but i wouldn't change anything so you know um, mm-hmm. So I'm not going to talk about the music and the production separately. They're inseparable. So I'm going to give the music 89.5 and the production 90, but I would like to hear some of the interesting production things, please, Paul. Well, I mean, one of the obvious things is it's recorded with very speed. So at this point, they're, they're using very speed on the tape to, to create effects. Yeah. So they record this about a, a semitone lower, or, or the tape runs slow, so they... they they get a different effect when they play it back at normal speed. Yeah. And then, of course, they've got this gap for a, a solo that they try to come up with. Mm. And it ends up being that the engineers on the session have worked out how to do this weird thing where they mess with the echo, the tape in the echo machine to make that sort of fluttery. Mm. And you, then you get George Martin to do this mad piano solo that I love yeah. in the middle of it that took them ages to come up with, which is daft given it's a piano-y song anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. So, and and that's recorded at an, again at a totally different speed, so he can play it a bit slower. So, so, yeah. so that has another weird jangly quality. That's one of their you know studio tricks that they do quite a few times. Yeah, and then you've got the comb and paper kazoo sounds in it as well. Yeah, and all the stories of them going off to try and get the toilet roll that they need to do this. 
Right. And it all been stamped with property of EMI on it because that's how stingy EMI were, that the toilet roll had property of EMI stamped on it. Yeah. Cool. So it's it's just got all those little sorts of studio tricks because they were sort of in the studio and they were like, well, we'll try something mm. now because we, we can and see where that takes us. And the other thing I want to mention spe- specifically is the way that McCartney pronounces the word book. He goes full scouse. Anyway, on to the lyrics. I love the conceit of an ode to a meter maid. Um, it opens up all these avenues for Macca's humour, that kind of, that little trigger, and he's away, isn't he? With it, you know, having his yeah. heart towed away, looking like a military man sitting on the sofa with a sister or two. They're just, they're, they're like, you It's know, just, he could come up with that in it from his head, make up these characters, give them a little vignette, a little miniature life in these songs, and then they go away again, mm. which is something that Lennon was never interested in. no. He and never, never did, and, and I used to sort of pour scorn on these a little bit. But it's an amazing skill if you could do it. It's like painting a little miniature yeah. portrait, and it's it's a it's a, a genre you know that carries on to the to this day. It's a comedy song as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. It's almost you know this is up your right up your street with you know it's almost a novelty song really. If if, if so, yeah, if, it is. It's very much so along those lines. Yeah, it's light-hearted. It's it's not meant to be any kind of depth to it but it's done with such style it's actually a classic rock song on arguably the most accomplished album ever produced and i always Mm -hmm. love the dichotomy between the legend of sergeant pepper in the world of psychedelic conceptual progressive music but so many of the songs like this are really grounded lyrically you know especially mccartney's you know they're they're all very for want of a better word frumpy and fun you know, it's not a serious album, is it, Sgt. Pepper's, in, 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 in its content, in places. You've got When I'm 64, you've got Lovely Rita, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's great. Um, so I'm going to give the lyrics 76, which gives Lovely Rita an overall of 85.2. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good, good. Yeah, it's an interesting one for stories as well, because apparently in the sessions for Lovely Rita, they had a few visitors popping in and out. Mm. So you've got Tony Hicks from the Hollies and David Crosby, who's in The Birds at the time, mm. pop by with a singer called Sean Phillips as well. And Sean Phillips claims that him and David Crosby sing some backup vocals on Lovely Rita. But right. to be honest, if they did, they didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, if they did, it wasn't used. It, it's, yeah. it, there's no evidence for that, really. But there are photos of them together. But it's, yeah, they did They did turn up, but yeah, okay. they don't make it onto the album. No. Yeah, they may, might be on a, a bit of tape on the studio floor somewhere, maybe. Or Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great song. So, next, She Said, She Said. She said, she said, Paul. Yes, she said, have you got some more lovely, yummy LSD? (laughs) And that's what it was. See, the thing with Beatles and drugs songs is everyone focuses their attention so much on on Pepper Mm. and literally on Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and totally just, uh, oh, you can't possibly write about that stuff if you haven't taken acid. Well, this is a drugs song. Yeah. You know, because it's inspired by a, a very druggy situation. 
So although it's not about drugs, it's spun off from the experience of drugs. Mm. So this is a song that's on Revolver, which comes out in August of 1966. We've not done many from Revolver. No, I have don't we? think we have. Uh, I think this is this is. Um, I will be doing when we get to episode 10. I'm going to do a bit of a bonus kind of catch up with where we are with albums and their average scores oh, as, right. as a uh, with the songs that have been scored, and that will help me to real to to give you those stats. But I don't we'll think we've, we've done many revolvers at all no i don't think so uh, i can't remember from one week to the next anyway so there you yeah. go that's your job but it's yeah it's they record this on the 21st of june 1966 it's based on this story about them being in in la on their 1965 tour and they're hanging out in la because they're basically besieged in this house for a bit because mm. there's you know helicopters overhead and fans all outside so they're there and they're they're hanging out with all the la sort of bands and things like that they're watching a film called Cat Baloo, which stars Jane Fonda. But at this party they're at, or the people at the house with them, one of them's Peter Fonda, who's an actor himself and is the brother of Jane Fonda. So they're already bored because Cat Baloo's really boring as a film. John and George drop acid. George starts feeling like he's dying. Right. And so Peter Fonda's like, do you know what will help someone, a guy who's, who feels like he's dying while he's on an acid trip? I'll tell him all about the time I actually nearly died. And so he, Peter Fonda's going, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I, I I shot myself and I had to be operated on and I actually died. So I know what it's like to be dead. And, <laughs> and John Lennon's going, why are you saying this to us? So John goes into an angry acid sort of reaction. All right. He's really in it. So combined with the fact that he's clearly found Cat Baloo really boring, so he's not feeling very <laughs> well disposed towards the Fonders anyway. And you've got Peter Fonders set, putting this stuff into your head, which if you're in a, the midst of a, a yeah. drugs trip is not something you want to be hearing. I know what it's like to be dead, man. And that's what inspires this song. Right. Interesting thing is, clearly... It's a John, John and George experience together. Yeah. And the resultant thing is most likely, we think, and this is confirmed by McCartney, the actual song itself is only John, George and Ringo. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's a, something, in fact, I stumbled upon when I was um, looking at this as well. I'd never realised. And you can hear it, can't you? It, well, you think so. I mean... It, when, when you, you know, you, when you know, when you listen to it, you think, "Oh yeah, but, that's not McCartney on bass." Yeah. Although George is doing a brilliant job on the bass. Yeah, it is. It is. That's why I think it, it slips by without you sort of noticing that. But yeah, so apparently they have a row hmm. in the in the recording session, and Paul storms off, and so George picks up the bass, and they do it. And it's another one with very speed. They record it so they slow it down so it gets more heavy sounding. Ah, okay. And you've got these great guitar sounds and the little organ on it as well. Mm. And Ringo being flat out amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the drumming is phenomenal on this. Absolutely brilliant. Um, if, if anyone has the um, if if you ever meet anyone who has the old oh Ringo wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles ha 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 kind of attitude you could just play them this and go well you know they can play them this and lots of other things as well as we all know but um, but this is one that you could really just shove in their faces really and say well you go and play those drums then (laughs) I think this is better than Rain I mean Rain is often quoted as like the Ringo song I think this is his drums on this are better than Rain but it's very much in the same style they are very similar aren't they when you think about it things like this I mean and they also those things that have that George influence in that kind of droney note kind of way anyway 
Yeah, I love the guitar sound that's achieved, however they do it, around the use of the open chord drone note and the progression. And then the way that that goes in and out of the uh, mad chorus, I guess, or break the flowing in and out of the waltz time, which messes with your head and matches the dreamy and jarring quality of that song you know, the way it kind of breaks into flashback with the when I was a boy section, which you've given context with what actually um, happened to make them write those lines. But it, it also does sit at a contrast to the rest of the song because it, it feels like someone floating off into some kind of a memory. Um, I mean, it, once it's repeated a few times, it doesn't really go anywhere. But at this stage... It's about feel. It's about yeah. It's about sound experience. You know, they're moving in this album, particularly towards using the studio again, using effects, creating a mood with things like the drone sort of ideas that yeah. are coming in. For, so it's not just the Indian songs that have the Indian influence. It's all the other stuff. It must have been. I was just going to say, at this stage, this whole song must have been a real exciting departure from their normal work for them to work on you know for them to to get stuck into and you can hear hear the three of them at least having fun with it and so the music for this i'm getting is getting a very strong 83 i've always loved this song um uh the production um and we've talked a bit about it anyway but how did they because it is a guitar it's not there's no sitar in this or anything is it but it does have this kind of drone boingy feel to it is that the very speed that's making it do that or is it just the way that they've obviously detuned strings it's a little bit of everything it's uh, as with anything in the studio it's never quite as simple as it's a microphone in front of a thing or a switch you press Mm. it's a combination of things it'll be the type of amp and whether it's like got treble boost on it it'll be the positioning of the microphone in relation to the amplifier it'll be you know what happens when that gets to the desk Mm. you know in the connection what microphone have they used what guitar has he used so but they've still spent the time picking and choosing and 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 coming up with something, hmm. and and yeah, but it's yeah it's got that weird sort of almost sitari quality to it. Definitely has a boingy boingy feel, I'd say, and it kind of rings out along with the Hammond organ in a very strange kind of um, very high register, kind of weirdly there and not there all at once. Yeah. Um, as I said before, George bass playing is 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 brilliant. You know he's. He's doing a McCartney, which is a probably the best. Yeah, it's a very if it is George doing it, which we think it is. Yeah, most likely because you know Paul I, says he he went off and had a, after a row, so he says he's not on it. It is very much he's doing it in the, in the manner of McCartney. Yeah, he's not quite got the McCartney extra bits in. He's no. not quite got the 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 handling of the instrument as it were but it's a very very good if you're going to get anyone to do an impression of McCartney it might as well be George Harrison at yeah. this period and and, and I think yeah. in the whole realisation of this song um, which you know I think maybe you can hear room for George coming out of that absence of McCartney and it makes you wonder how much more what what the kind of more Lennon Harrison would have sounded like if they'd gone mm. more down that route. But anyway, I'm giving it 77 for production. Um, lyrics, uh, I mean, I love the lyric, you're making me feel like I've never been born. Uh, I love how it's so close to the lyric, you're making me feel like never before, You kind of where you'd go with it if you were thinking of it naturally. But the, making me feel like I've never been born is just that that last minute change to that sentence that makes it that uncomfortable visceral sentiment that um 
you know, I can only guess is born out of a bad trip or um, experience with someone um, who triggered it. Even if you're not someone who's ever experienced drugs, that if you've ever experienced anxiety in a, in a bad situation, you know, yes. um, and that whole thing feels like a bleary-eyed, chemically enhanced early morning conversation in the corner of a party with someone who's blowing your mind in a very uncomfortable way, which now you've told me the context is exactly what it was. Um, I liked, I'm surprised then. So the, the, um, th- the uh, when I was a boy section, it sounds like a little snippet of Peter Fonda's story. For me, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's inspiration from that, yeah. I think, and then it's and then it's Lennon sort of going, yeah, well, it was better when I was a kid, yeah, not that it not that it necessarily was, but no, yeah. but I think that gives that brings across conveys that guilt of substance abuse. I think that feeling when you know, even if it's like a bad hangover from alcohol or something, when you just wish for a more innocent time. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be right in the midst of it, wishing back for that. Oh, I just wish there was nothing in the world but playing football or something, you know, or or, or just being being a boy. I, I, and I think it's a really sweet sentiment against everything else. And, and I think it's a great lyric. It's not perhaps a nice topic, but I don't think it glorifies it. Like you say, with the... Um, no, it's not. It's not doing a salesman job on LSD no, here. It's, it's it's not kind of, yeah. But um, it does produce some good music. So um, seventy nine for lyrics, giving us seventy nine point seven overall. Hmm. Okay. So finally, then we have Bad Boy. Bad boy, Paul. Oh, no. Do I not get a biscuit? No. Oh, I like biscuits. <laughs> anyway, there's jokes again. It's uh, the cover version for this week. So, yeah, yeah. this is a, a song that was recorded as part of the Help Sessions, recorded on the 10th of May, 1965. But then it has quite an interesting, out of all of the ones we've done so far, this has its most interesting release thing. Okay. Because it doesn't come out on anything. It's not on Help. No. So it's the first release for this song comes it's it comes out on Beatles 6 in America. So we know that in in the early days of putting out the albums in America Capitol were doing sort of a cut and shut job on them and putting songs from one on another or get, and so there's occasionally points where they're like well we've got to bolster this with something and so they've got this song and it goes over to America to plug a gap. Mm. And it doesn't appear in the UK until the following year Christmas the following year on a collection of Beatles oldies. Even though it's never been released. Even though it was only done, yeah, it's never been released, and it and it and it was only done the year before. Right. And I mean, my first—I've known it a long time though, because now it's on past masters. But I've known it since having the rock and roll music cassettes, which I had yeah. years and years and years and years ago, and it's on rock and roll music volume one because it's a cover of a Larry Williams song. Yeah. Which which was a song that came out in 1958 to absolutely no acclaim, but. Uh, I think got a release in the UK and they've they've picked it up and I think it's a, it's a great little rocker. The Larry Williams rockers are, are really good, I think. But yeah. it's strong stuff. This early rock and roll with teeth, mostly. Though some of the guitar licks are a little blunt, 
in bits. Yeah, he's sort of overdubbed so that the, the lead guitars are double tracked. Yeah. I'll tell you what, why they've done that anyway. So this is the little riffs that go... Yeah. Which isn't in the original version. What's in the original version is an echo vocal. So okay. you get... Oh, it's not an echo vocal, rather. Every line ends, ends with, he's a bad boy. Right. Which they don't do at all. No, no. Uh, yeah, because the word bad boy doesn't actually appear in this version, does it? Yeah. yeah. But in the original by Larry Williams, you've got this quite comic sort of, he's a bad boy at oh, the end of every line. I'm going to have to go and listen to that, see if that's the version I've heard. It doesn't sound, that doesn't sound familiar at all. Um, yeah. But it's lots of fun. But yeah, the, the, the overdub guitars don't work brilliantly. But um, yeah, it's um, rock and roll. It's played competently for the most part. You know, you can forgive it. It's uh, it's it's slightly off double track guitars. It doesn't excite me as much as some of the previous covers. You know, we, we say generally say how well they pick them, and you know, I think there's a reason this didn't make it onto albums. I, I, it, yeah. I don't think it was for a cover showing a side of themselves that we we were surprised that they had. You know, so uh, musical musically, I'm going to give it 49. Production-wise, it's a very clean sound, a little heavy on the tambourine, maybe, for my liking, I think. It's um, got the organ and the piano on it, or the pianette, rather. It's the, got a couple of in, you know keyboard instruments in there as well, bolstering the drive. Yeah. Um, would that be Martin? Hammering no, on? no, I think that's, that's Lennon and McCartney are both doing something. Okay. On, a, on an overdub kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, I say the the because the, the doubled guitar performance doesn't work brilliantly well. It does sound a little messy when they're both playing a little bit off each other. Um, so yeah, forty nine for the production. Um, but I love John's voice on this. I think his vo- his vocal is amazing. He was great at the rock and rollers. I mean, both of them were, but John John could really attack these songs, couldn't he? Um, yeah. So I'm gonna. I've said forty nine for production, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, about three times. 49 for production, four times. Um, and with no lyrics to score, as is the way, quick reminder for listeners, I don't score lyrics for covers because they didn't write the lyrics, they just sing them again. Um, so it's going to get an average of 32.8. So that's it for this week, and we have two songs entering the top 10. So here are the rest of the songs that didn't quite make the top 10 and where they landed. At number 35, out of 35, is Bad Boy. At number 25, Tell Me Why. And at number 13, Good Night. So, let's see where the other two have ended up in our top 10. At number 10, Here Comes the Sun. At number 9, She Said, She Said. At number 8, I'm So Tired. At number 7, Good Morning, Good Morning. At number 6, Fixing a Hole. New in at number 5, Lovely Rita. At number four, yesterday. Number three, The Fool on the Hill. Cry Baby Cry is still at number two. And retaining its title at number one, I Am the Wars. Hmm, interesting. So she said, she said, made the cut. And um, lovely read it for the top ten. Although, you know, I think anything in the top 25 is doing very well. Thanks again, Paul, for your help. That's all right. Where can the listeners find you if they want some more view? Well, I think they should go to the Head Ballet podcast and listen to me talking to guests about novelty songs, as you mentioned earlier, in fact. Mm. And that is at Head Ballet Pod on all the stuff. Yes, I 
um, heartily recommend it. Some very interesting guests, some very interesting history of music that gets teased out and from um, these various selections. So, yeah, yeah it's very good. Um, as far as I go, please check out garyabbott.co.uk for links to my science fiction books that I write, um, some of my own original music, and this podcast um, chart where I should hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, put some documents up where you can download your own um, Beatles chart to score along with me if you wish. Plus, um, my Twitter is at Gary underscore Abbott if you want to keep in touch. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Good Beatle.